559 at time. Talk Radio 790 KBC Royal Oaks. And for Doug McIntyre. So, Leanne, we are on hypocrisy alert here. Oh, boy. Parkland survivor and anti-gun campaigner David Hogg. He's on a big tour around the country, going to Barnes & Nobles in New York City to promote his uh, book. Mm-hmm. And who do you think he takes along with him? A bunch of armed guards. Yeah, of course. Armed guards. So it's okay for him to have personal protection in the form of actual guns. But not you. It's a little bit like vegans munching on Big Macs, you know. Just, uh, I don't get it. Hey, folks, when we come back, the long national nightmare is over. LeBron James headed to L.A. Stay with us. Wake up! Wake me up before you go. And get smart. It's McIntyre in the Morning with Doug McIntyre, Leanne Tweeden News, Randy Wang Sports, and Bill Thomas Traffic. Six oh six. The time. Talk radio. Seven ninety. K A B C. Royal Oaks. In for Doug McIntyre today and tomorrow. Hope you're having a nice, slow, relaxing holiday week. Uh, Boy, it's going to get uh, toasty out there, Leanna. 105? Yeah. And 104 on yeah. uh, like Friday and Saturday? I think Randy and I were talking. What were you telling me next week's going to be well, in the Well, my phone said yesterday was that in my area of the Van Nuys beautiful part of the valley, <laughs> it'll be 111 <laughs> degrees on Saturday. Wow. Yeah, that's, 111. It's going to be ugly out That's called there. pool time right there. That's called and, I need to get basted. And a lot of sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> so the story, as you said, uh, I mean, you're dumping on Cleveland, Randy, but I mean... I. They did I don't have, need to dump on Cleveland. Cleveland's a dump. But when they get to the finals, was it four or five years in a row? Yeah. With LeBron. With LeBron. And yeah. showing okay. how good LeBron and is. And they won one of those. But at least they did it. I mean, they're in the finals. No, I mean, he was like, in the finals. Yeah. The rest of that team did not deserve <laughs> to be in the finals. But let's not forget that was the East as well. Very, lot easier no than the No competition now. Yeah. yeah. Well, to help us uh, sort out this uh, huge development, uh, we've got Tom Hoffarth. He's a former longtime sports columnist with the L.A. Daily News, and now he has a vodcast with thedrill.com. Tom, welcome to KBC. How are you? I'm great. You know, uh, Randy Leanne, all you have to do now is move to Lebrando Beach. <laughs> 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 ah, that's, I've never heard that one. All, They're gonna start. We're all cool here. We had a great big fireworks show last night because you know Fourth of July. We didn't. Need, we needed. We moved it up to July first. It was great here last night. Oh, nice. So, Tom, before we talk LeBron <laughs> with your sports pedigree, I, I got to get your take on this. I'm not a big soccer fan, but what I do understand <laughs> is that the United States is not in the freaking World Cup. Okay, and I was asking somebody that I said, what about the U.S.? Every time you go driving around to parks, you see little kids playing soccer, okay? They're not playing basketball or baseball. They're playing soccer. And we have, what, 370 million people in this country? And as I understand it, was it Trinidad and Tobago that we lost to? Yes, long ago. You know, soccer has been the future sport of the United States oh, since the no. early 70s. It's still future. Uh, no. but, but what am I missing here? Stop. Trinidad and Tobago have, I don't have my internet handy, 100,000 people, maybe 400,000 people? It was people? one of those Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson moments. You just didn't see it coming. Everything was all set, and it, it just didn't happen, and they got blindsided. And now it's funny because uh, if you go on Amazon.com, there are about 20 different books written by players and coaches about why the U.S., you know, messed up and what they need to do for the future. So I'm up this early anyway. I want to see Mexico, Brazil. That's coming up. In an hour, yeah. Well, our top story tonight, uh, of course, LeBron James. Uh, Did did you see this coming? And did others in the uh, sports uh, intelligentsia see this, that he would figure, well, I'll I'll go to a big media market and you can't get much better than L.A.? Or or was this a bit of a surprise? It made more sense. I mean, I as a fan, I, w- I always wish players would stay where they uh, thrived and, and established their identity. I, I'm always when George Brett, he looked at the back of his baseball card and he oh saw the God. same team. George Brett, my all-time favorite guy from El Segundo High School. Anyway, uh, yeah, LeBron's from Cleveland. I w- always want to think of him as a Cleveland guy. Kobe's an L.A. guy. You know, it's you cheer against these guys, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's like Daryl Strawberry coming from the Mets or the Dodgers. What is this about? We've, we've booed him. We've admired his talent, but it's like, yeah. But you, could you see it coming? Yes, in some ways, because at this point of his life, it's it's not so much of a championship decision. It's a, it's a lifestyle decision, yep. and he's got – 
He's got a wife. He's got a son who's 13 who wants to play at the Canyon High School in Chatsworth, which just won a state title. And, you know, and in four years, think about this. In four years, LeBron Jr. will be 17 and probably ready at that point to where the NBA decides it's done with its one-and-done rule. What are, what, are, what are the chances of LeBron Jr. playing with the Lakers? With I'd, say a, little I'd say a little pressure something? on the young guy. Is that something to think about? That would be cool, <laughs> though. I mean, they would probably would make that cool, happen just because it would be right. history. We're talking with right. Tom Hoffarth. He's uh, formerly with the L.A. Daily News. Now he does a vodcast with thedrill.com. Now tell me this vodcast word. I was not familiar with it. I know <laughs> podcasts, and I know, actually, I do a podcast on CR- CRN Digital right. uh, Talk, and it is video as well as audio. So does the fact that you have video added to the the podcast make it a vodcast that's what i'm told that's what all the kids are calling it you know um all the cool I kids thought we were doing a video show and now because it's on itunes it's now a podcast merged with a video show and that's that's where it comes from so you it's can. on youtube and facebook and uh we do a couple shows a week and it's a lot of fun because we talk about it. it's more like a uh pardon the interruption for los angeles sports and, it, and we've been talking about lebron you know ever since this all started, you know, months and weeks ago, and and how things, you know, you you read tea leaves and you see pieces of the puzzle get dropped, and um, it, it's you know it's back to going whether this is a surprise or not. I think the only surprise is the announcement is made so soon because yes. this doesn't have to be official until Friday, mm-hmm. and the fact that everybody started coming out with I'm staying here, I'm going here, and Paul George seemed to be like a piece that Lakers really wanted. But then he announced he's going to Oklahoma City. He's going to stay there. It's like maybe LeBron and the Lakers felt like, let's get this out there now because we have a few days to start recruiting people. And it's not against the rules if Paul George decided to change his mind and go to the Lakers now because he hasn't signed anything. It, it, it kind of it, it flashed back to when uh, DeAndre Jordan kind of did that with yep. the Clippers. He says, I'm going to <laughs> Dallas. And then the, the Clippers caught wind of it, hold him up and said, you know, we're, you're staying here, and he went back on his word and stayed with the Clippers. So it's not against the rules to do that, but you know, it. I, I think LeBron has already recruited a couple players, Lance Stevenson, and it's it, it, he's in a place now where he can help the Lakers in the next this week uh, rather than you know wait and draw it out and make everybody keep guessing. He probably just wants to get it over with as well. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he's he... probably settled in his head and. Well, we had no big TV special this year. There was no decision. There was no, I'm going to take my talents. talents. Yeah, that that was quite an expression. Yeah, and I'm surprised uh, the Lakers haven't even tweeted about it. Isn't that no. crazy? Uh, that's a little yeah. weird. It, everyone, I saw Kareem did and Kobe yeah. did, and everyone seems to be all happy about it. And the Lakers are just, maybe they just, you know, don't want to uh, tip, you know, don't, don't, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's against some rules that the players can announce it and the the, the PR teams can announce it. Maybe the teams can't do anything yet about it. But well, everybody's talking though, about it. Yeah, Jeannie Jordan Buzz hasn't said, tweeted either. <laughs> yeah, when DeAndre Jordan recently said he was opting out of his contract, the Clippers said, thank you and goodbye on their website. Yeah. It's, like, it, it's like he didn't really have to leave. You just sort of just gave him the boot out the door. So, Tom Hoffarth, let's talk uh, history, ancient history and recent. The ancient is showtime. I mean, in the 80s, was it like 80 and 82, 85, 88? Yeah. Multiple championships. Seems like half the decade the, the Magic Johnson and the Lakers uh, were champions. Last five years... Technically speaking, no playoff, no playoff appearances for the Lakers. So, uh, is it too crazy to predict not only that you know they're going to make the playoffs now, but a serious run at the championship uh, with LeBron on board? Well, it was a 35-win team last year with a bunch of really kind of nice players, and most of them will be staying, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Right? You add a couple of pieces in the NBA, you can just add a piece or two, and you you suddenly become a playoff team and. And once you get in the playoffs, no matter whether you're one through eight, you've got a pretty good, decent shot at it. And, uh, it, it, you know, sports is really about entertainment. And you guys, yep. you know, know it's, it's even if you're losing, as long as you're entertaining and if, if you're in LLA, it, it, it pays off and somehow. Um, and LeBron's saying, obviously, in, the, in these quotes I'm reading, you know, he's got a four-year deal. So, you know, if it doesn't work the first year, give it some time, you know. I don't think he's in any rush to win any more titles because he's got enough on his resume. And right now it's, you know, like I said, it's a lifestyle thing where he's in the media, he's into movies, he's in the, 
you know, creating all kinds of things. You know, he sees what Kobe Bryant and Magic Johnson have done with their post careers and become businessmen. And Magic, you know, can probably be a mentor to him right at this point. And I think that's that's more important to him than any sort of title. As long as he keeps people in the seats and keeps making the team some money and puts them in the spotlight, you know, you, this is it's, it's it's a glorious thing to be the king of of the world right now, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, speaking of glorious things, Tom, maybe you can explain to this. We were speculating. How is it he has two homes in Brentwood? I mean, do you do you need two homes? No, I always I just kept the one. I didn't need both. I mean, it did matter. It, it was taxes and everything, and yeah. <laughs> Well, I uh, you know, you have guests that come in, in-laws. Who wants to have the in-laws stay at your house, right? Good you point. Put them in the Thank other you. House. <laughs> well, well, no, he maybe, just uses that one for laundry, right? Maybe he hangs yeah. out with Jack Nicholson. I think Jack Nicholson has a home <gasps> oh. up there in the in the Brentwood section of Los Angeles. You think Jack's going to be a regular uh, attendee again now as a result of this move? Yeah, if he's yeah. still around. I mean, I, I, said I, he's I thought to be it was wheelchair funny. Wheelchair sports. I was reading Sports Illustrated story about this, and so Sunday morning there's LeBron and his family having breakfast in Brentwood on San Vicente, and Gavin Newsom comes by, and Maria Shriver comes by, and they all, hey, I hope you're coming to Lakers. You know, it's like, what a lifestyle, right? It's just, it's just like, why wouldn't you want to be there all the time? Exactly. He was already there in the off season, so. Now, when, yeah. you, when you say Jack Nicholson, is he still around? I mean, he's not like Charlie Chaplin, you know. He, he I think he's still <laughs> active in the entertainment business. He'll be back. Yeah, but he, yeah, but he's not. Uh, I don't think he still holds the same clout as maybe you know half the people who I see now on courtside who I can't name anymore. Um, it's. You may regret saying that, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tom Hoffarth uh, of uh, the vodcast with the drill.com. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Thanks, and uh, Tom. we'll sure. get out there and make a little more money so we can afford season tickets to the Lakers. All right. Every day is a holiday this week. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot, Tom. Take care. <laughs> I wish. 617 The Time, Talk Radio, 790-KABC, Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre. So the big, big news out of the Supreme Court uh, last year, the retirement of Anthony Kennedy. You know what I thought was intriguing? Maybe I'm just naive, Leanna, but the, the idea that Trump and his people were sort of steering Kennedy toward retirement. I always assumed Trump was just sitting back, well, whoever dies or retires, we can all deal with it. Yeah, Apparently, I didn't realize that either. they were pushing him. The Trump people were saying... Uh, you know, uh, Justice Kennedy, uh, we could uh, fit, fill your spot with the reti- somebody who was one of your clerks. They're literally talking to him about how the president would seriously look at picking one of his former clerks, who's now a prominent judge. And uh, Trump wasn't so heavy-handed himself, apparently, but he was his really his people. And he was laying it on thick in terms of, you know, we respect your legacy. You know, you're a fabulous guy and so on. So they were really moving him toward this. And how old is he? 80-something? Oh, yeah, he's about 80, 81. Yeah. He'd been yeah. talking about retiring. But, yeah, it's definitely a mob move. Uh, we'd like you to uh, consider retiring. Yeah, now. I had no idea. That was sort of the political mm. dynamic. But anyway, it's happened. And, and so uh, on the short list, apparently are some former clerks uh, of Anthony Kennedy. Uh, the Democrats, of course, are going nuts, and they're saying, oh, it's just wrong. You know, we've got to wait until after the midterms. And in, the, in one Mr. sense... Mr. McConnell's not going to do that. No, he ain't going to do it. And it's sort of unprecedented. I mean, on the one hand, the last time around when the, a presidential election was coming up, there was sort of a psychological reason. Well, maybe we ought to wait because perhaps the American people deserve a new justice that's picked by the new president they're about to select. But that's not a rule. They just no, made that up. Exactly right. And depending on whose ox is being gored, you know, they pulled out some juicy vid- video of Joe Biden saying exactly the opposite from 50 15 years before when they're all hypocrites on this issue on every single side yeah i i think that's the bottom line but so we're not going to be waiting for the midterms but uh it's interesting that uh, you're you're looking at a political impact here uh, i think the democrats could really be energized by this development because they are gonna get the word out to their base well they weren't ener- they weren't energized by trump we had a 17 percent turnout in the last primary yeah yeah, that that's strange. I mean, I guess there just wasn't anything that really grabbed people in terms of of trying to get them out there. But you know, this is this is going to be high stake stuff with with Roe versus Wade. But you know, I think the moderates in the Senate are going to help assure 
that we get a centrist justice because the Republicans have absolutely no margin uh, for error here. They've got 51 senators, and, and as we've discussed, one of them, John McCain, may not even be able to uh, be healthy enough to vote. And, and then he does, he's the got to go to D.C. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's going to be very questionable there. And, and you he, got to take into consideration the Republican senators that Trump's pissed off that are retiring, like Jeff Flake. He could vote however care. he wants. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You know, kind of a wild card, though, is that you've got a, a handful of Democrats in the Senate who traditionally have been voting against Trump on absolutely everything. There's been total unanimity, whether it's Obamacare, travel ban, whatever. It, uh, there are half a dozen Democrats who are facing re-election challenges this November, and they're really serious challenges in the sense that these half a dozen Democrats are in states where Trump just crushed. He won by 10 percent or more in, in all of these states. And so the Democratic candidates running for re-election are saying to themselves, gee, if I, if I spit in the president's eye on something as important as the Supreme Court thing— I could lose right. because this is a red state. And so it's possible, weird as it sounds, that Trump might actually get two or three Democrats to vote with him. Well, that's what happened with Gorsuch. Joe Manchin voted for him. Yeah, yeah. So it does happen. But, you know, the, I think the key is in his own party, you got Susan Collins of Maine, you got Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, and from one end of the country to the other, they are doing a pincer movement on Trump, and they are saying, you better not pick somebody who's going to be hostile to Roe versus Wade, because we're not going to support them. And without their support, I mean, good luck. Yeah. Because without McCain, when, and with maybe a Democrat or two, the the problem the, the critics of the president are going to be facing is that it's this usual kabuki theater, this dance where the justice uh, make the rounds and visit the senators and then they testify, but they don't actually say how they're going to vote. They won't say, I'm sure, how they're going to vote on key issues like, well, can the pardon, president pardon himself? Uh, you know, what about this Russia investigation, the collusion stuff? You know they're going to say, I can't talk about that at all. It is totally off limits for me to prejudge a case. And, you know, in the old days, 20, 30 years ago, they didn't have this game refined so well. You'd actually have to reveal how you really felt about things. And that's probably why Robert Bork got borked, because he was too honest about how conservative he was. But now, the last several nominees, whether it's the liberals, uh, Kagan and Sotomayor, or the conservatives, Gorsuch, they just get up there and they smile and they talk about their legal pedigree. And when they're asked the hard question about Roe versus Wade, they say, I respect precedent. I would never willy-nilly overturn anything. As to individual issues like abortion, of course I can't comment. I don't know what the case would say. I, I can't prejudge a case. I would have to recuse myself if I went on record <laughs> saying I believe this or that about abortion. And that's true. I mean, you're supposed to go in with an open mind. But there are all sorts of variations. It isn't just a matter of, well, we're done with Roe versus Wade or not. There's, well, you have to have a waiting period. You have to enlist the husband's opinion. Oh, you can't have an abortion in a hospital unless it's a class A, you know, triple A hospital. All of those variations are going to be uh, up for grabs in the court cases. But you can watch those hearings with the nominees all you want. You're not going to get much information out of them. 623 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. And let's check in with Bill Thomas in traffic. Six thirty-seven. The time. Talk radio. Seven ninety K A B C. Royal Oaks. In for Doug McIntyre. Hey, the seven ninety K B C. What the hell is that? Contest is on vacation until Monday the ninth in the thirty-minute non-stop news blitz. But if you'd like to study up, we've posted the latest sound at kbc.com. So give it a listen and get ready to win cash from seven ninety K A B C. Well, if you're wondering why we're playing uh, Helen Dell on the Dodger Stadium uh, Hammond organ, uh, look at you recognizing song. what that is. Yeah, I was pretty uh, pretty familiar. Uh, it's because we are delighted to be joined by Bob Tewksbury. He is a coach with the San Francisco Giants, but uh, far more than a coach, he's going to talk to us about the mental side of baseball. Bob, welcome to KBC. How are you? Good morning, Roy. I am well, thank you. Yeah. I have to say uh, that, you know, that organ music Randy just played, it sounds so archaic compared to uh, what you <laughs> generally hear in ballparks. Mm -hmm. Ballparks are a little more up-to-date uh, nowadays. Uh, they've kind of gotten with the times, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, it's changed a little bit. I kind of like to go back to those uh, to the old organs. To be honest, it's um, the game has changed so much in so many ways that um, you know, and it's been talked about a lot. You know, it's it's very much in the press as you know, runs scored and defensive shifts should be eliminated and uh, pitching changes and all that. So. I don't think they worried about all that stuff when the organs were playing between innings. Yeah, you you knew when they got rid of the he has to throw four pitches for an intentional pass. That that was the uh, the tectonic yeah, I don't shift like that in baseball. One either. That's that's not easy to do as a pitcher because it's you know it's something that you're not used to and. Does it really? Was it speeded up by forty-five seconds? <laughs> right. Yeah, they're they're focused on that. Hey, uh, we got to get to why you're really here. You have written a fantastic book. It's called Ninety Percent Mental: An All-Star Player Turned Mental Skills Coach Reveals the Hidden Game of Baseball. And Bob Tewksbury, you know what you're talking about because you had an amazing, successful career as a major leaguer, and then kind of shifted and morphed into a, into a mental skills coach. So uh, I have to tell you, I listened to every word of your book in the last week. You narrated it yourself. Great job. Thank um, you. And, and I loved it. Tell, tell the listeners, for those few people who haven't read your book yet, uh, what is mental skills coaching and how did you get into it? Yeah, mental skills coaching is, uh, pertains to helping the players play better you know, through working on confidence or concentration or practicing breathing or uh, listening to your inner voice, that little man I call him, self-talk. And so um, practicing imagery. Uh, so we, we try to use those techniques to help players play better. And But, there, but I think that they're – I know that they are something that people not only in baseball use, but we can use every day to improve our performances, whether you're taking a test or giving a speech or – you know, you uh, have a flight delay and, and, you know, you're mad that things are going to happen, you know, there's a way that you can not get so mad about that. And uh, that's a mental skill. So, you know, it's, uh, there are applied techniques that through sports psychology, you know, I'm not a sports psychologist. I I don't have a PhD in in sports psychology. I have a master's degree. I I have a self-proclaimed pitching phd uh if you will <laughs> but uh but i i don't have that degree in, um from a psychological standpoint but mental skills are applied sports psych techniques that have been practiced and researched and now we share them with baseball players so we're coming up on the all-star game and you have a great story in your book about a uh, time when you were in the all-star game and, and you were tapped to uh, to pitch an inning and uh, had mm. uh, a, a terrific experience and then mentally you you kind of shut yourself down because you thought well you know how it works in the all-star game you get an inning and that's it and then uh, t- <laughs> tell tell the rest of the story <clears throat> yeah I faced um, Joe Carter uh, um, Cal Ripken and um, Mark McGuire, I think. I faced three really good hitters, of course, at the All-Star game, and I got them out of nine pitches. So I'm, like, walking back from the mound, digging myself on national TV. I just I just got three good hitters out. I'm done. And uh, because, you know, the only guy that ever pitches two innings in the All-Star game is the starting pitcher, generally. So... And Bobby Cox comes down. And he goes, "How you feel?" I said, "Good." He goes, "Well, good. You got another one." And I was like, "Oops! <laughs> oh shit!" <laughs> um, so I said, "Okay." So my first thought was, "Oh no!" And then I tried to talk myself into, "Okay, I can do this." Mm-hmm. And I, I got the, um, I had a, I had a guy on second and two outs, no runs in. And I and I ended up giving up five runs and didn't get out of the wow. inning. And and the lesson I, is there was a big mental component to that, right? Because I mean, you were physically ready and mentally ready for that one inning, and then the he kind of threw you a curve, so to speak. Yeah. Well, as soon as I shut down mentally, I lost my edge, and so and then when I was out on the mound, I was worried about what was happening to me. You know, I was embarrassed, like, oh, I shouldn't have played. I shouldn't have come out here for this inning. Why did he have me pitch this inning? You know, so that little voice took over in my head, and 
got the best of me, and it's uh, it was a great learning experience that I share with a lot of people about the the ability to just stay focused until your time is over, until your job is done, because you never know. There's always a, there could be a surprise, but don't don't shut down mentally until you're told you're done. We're talking with the former Major League Baseball pitcher Bob Tewksbury. Uh, he is the author of 90% Mental, an all-star player turned mental skills coach, reveals the hidden game of baseball. So I guess the title uh, is come, uh, off of that wonderful malapropism by Yogi Berra. What was it? Uh, this game is uh, is 90% mental, or, or how, how yeah, does it go? Half the, half, uh, 90% of baseball is half mental. Right? Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's that's classic. Hey, Bob, uh, Bob can stay with us through the break here so we're going to pause uh, and bring him back and uh, stay with us here on talk radio 790 kabc check in with bill thomas on the traffic 659 the time talk radio 790 kabc royal oaks in for doug mcintyre and uh, Leanne, have you heard uh, martin sheen and lavar burton uh, they're on a hunger strike against trump really yes they're they're just not going to take it anymore they're mad as heck and uh, I just think it's it's interesting that they have the courage to go on a hunger strike, Martin Sheen and LeVar Burton. I notice Rosie O'Donnell and Michael Moore are not <laughs> signed up for the hunger They're strike. They're eating double. D- don't they hate Donald Trump just as much? I mean, do they have some kind of hidden agenda? Like they like calories more <laughs> than they hate Donald Trump? They stay with us, folks, because we're going to be chatting with Sean Steele after the break. 37 The Time, Talk Radio 790K ABC, Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre this Monday. So Supreme Court, huge week last week. It was kind of like, uh, you know, you go to the comedy club and you start out with Carrot Top and then you get the headline and you yeah. get Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> well, we started out with the travel ban. Okay. Okay. Travel ban's upheld. And then, whoa, public <laughs> employee union dues can't be mandatory. And then blammo. The headliner, Anthony Kennedy, quitting, oh, and boy, that was just uh, sent a shockwave. Well, oh, that surprised? one squashed the other two stories. Oh, yeah, it, totally. It really did. Yeah, I was surprised because I, I thought, you know, he's hung in this long. He, 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 you know, he's getting up there. He's 80 or 81, but um, I thought, you know, maybe he's been more liberal conservative than conservative in recent years, and so I guess he, he probably figured, well, a little bit like Ginsburg, I think, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she's not going to leave voluntarily. Mm. Uh, but uh, She just takes naps. Yeah, well, I suppose, power naps. <laughs> uh, if you, if you want to sound off about the whole Supreme Court situation, 1-800-222-KABC is the number. The union decision was pretty huge. I mean, the Supreme Court has rejected the right of public employee unions. So this is not everybody, not General Motors assembly line guys, but this is city and county workers, cops, and and basically uh, public employees. You can't force a person who happens to work for a city or a county to pay dues if they object to what the union is doing in terms of political activities. What the court said was that you know, what public employee unions are doing is not just, well, a few bucks more for working on the assembly line. It's political statements. The idea of spending more money on public works and increasing money going to public employees, that's a political issue. And so if you're going to support that, that's like political speech and the government can't force you to engage in political speech. So it overturned a bunch of decisions from 30, 40 years ago that had said, well, you know, this free rider concept, non-members of the union shouldn't be able to benefit from union bargaining. Weren't a lot of people upset that uh, or the unions are upset that people don't have to pay dues even though they get the benefits of collective bargaining, right? Like they're even though the unions right. are going out there and making these better deals, now the government's saying, well, they don't have to pay money if they don't believe in the political, what you're doing with the money politically that they collect. Do you think there are going to be people out there in the unions that are like, <clears throat> I don't support you politically so they can save their money and not have to give it to a union but still have the benefits from them? Yeah, you could see people I mean, you know who what are I mean? really insincere. Just playing the system, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They, they just want to save a few bucks in terms of union dues. And I think that's why the court has, has voted the way they have over the last several decades because, you know, intrinsically they hate this free rider concept. But when you look at the uniqueness of public employee unions where they really are involved in political stuff, I mean, that, that's the reason for it. Uh, the majority mm-hmm. opinion by uh, Justice uh, Alito f- squarely based it on the First Amendment. But boy, there was an angry dissent by Justice Kagan and some of the other liberals on the court. And, and her phrase was, this is weaponizing the First Amendment. And, and I ha- have a problem mm. with that. I mean, when you work for the city, you don't give up your free speech rights. Your union wants to support a political agenda. They want to sponsor more public works and more employees and higher wages. And you have a personal problem with that. That's your First Amendment right. I mean, the Supreme Court is simply saying that you don't have to pay dues to help push a political agenda you disagree with. And they can't charge you fees if you're not in the union. Right, Right, exactly. And so, uh, I mean, for Kagan to say, oh, you know, you're weaponizing the First Amendment. It's like over-the-top rhetoric. Yeah, because, I mean, ACL, the ACLU has been fighting hard for years to protect speech of all kinds, you know, uh, allegedly obscene speech and so on. Is the ACLU weaponizing free speech? I mean, the the ACLU would would just laugh at you if you said, oh, gee, you're weaponizing the First Amendment. They would say free speech is what it is. If you support it, you aren't using it as a weapon. You're just supporting free speech. I mean, you know, when the real weapon, I think, is the union forcing people to pay dues to reshape California politics. And that's what's happened in California is that they have been instrumental in creating basically a one-party state. Uh, I mean, you know, the ACLU was in favor of letting the Nazis march in Skokie uh, based on the First Amendment. You could say that's weaponizing the First yeah. Amendment. Now, so the bottom line is I think there's a, there's a strong basis for, for the decision. And similarly, the, the travel ban, boy, that, that engendered a, a very emotional reaction. Uh, the, the Supreme Court by a 5-4 vote said, look, OK, we've looked at the travel ban. It has Muslim countries and non-Muslim countries. It is only involving 8% of the world's Muslims. There is nothing in the travel ban that talks about religion. And instead, Trump's people in supporting the decision to, to implement a travel ban said, hey, we did our due diligence. We ran all around the world for 50 days. We, we fanned out with the State Department and we figured out where might there be terrorist threats, where might be, there might be jeopardy to America if we don't impose this travel ban. And on that basis, they implemented it. And, of course, it was the third version. This was travel ban 3.0. Oh, the first two had been struck down by the courts. And what they're ruling on is that he has the power to do this. This is within the president's right, not necessarily whether it's right or not. I mean, I think there was a valid argument of, well, did you really need this if it's already been in a year and a half? The 30 days is well up. No, you're right. But but your first point is the key there. I mean, the president has huge discretion under the wording of the federal law that lets him basically make the call in terms of immigration and national security, who gets into the country and who doesn't. And get wasn't it. that the actual ruling is like we're not ruling on whether he's right or wrong and what he wants to do by not letting people in from certain countries. It was just the whether he had the right to make a rule at all. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so it was a huge week for Trump. I mean, it had to have been very frustrating for him because it was basically from the very moment he was president, in the first few hours, he came up with this travel ban that caught everybody off guard. And there was chaos at the airports. And he just gets, you know, hit upside the head in one court after another for a year and a half. So finally, he's vindicated on that. The union thing comes out of his way and then Anthony Kennedy require, uh, quits. So it, it's been a, a huge and- shift in Trump's favor. And and just curious, all of these things that came down from the Supreme Court, can they be, um, can people go back to lower courts now or no? They're all precedents. The Supreme Court. So this is done. Unless the U.S. Supreme Court says we're making a decision, but it's super narrow. It hardly applies anywhere except for this. And we send it back down or whatever. Yeah. So when you when you send it back down, theoretically, something could change. For example, on the on the travel ban, uh, a court could come out differently. But they're not going to because they have such clear direction Mm -hmm. from the Supreme Court that it's legal. That's the first thing he did on day one. And it finally got ruled on today with every single executive order that he's got being challenged in the courts. Every lawsuit that's going on. Yeah. Everything's going to end 
up in the Supreme Court. We'll be settling Trump executive orders 10 years from now. <laughs> well, the Democrats have a very intelligent strategy. They don't control the Supreme Court or either House of Congress or the presidency, but they do have the ability to go into court and find a federal judge who will issue a national injunction against Trump. They've done yeah. that several it times. It was like a judge in Hawaii or something that came out. Absolutely. It's just it's... like, what? I didn't even know you could do yeah, that. it's interesting that the one judge can control the whole nation in that sense, obviously subject to the appeals courts. Sure, sure. 845 The Time, Talk Radio 790, KABC The Place, Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Yeah, let's check in with Bill Thomas on traffic. 50 the time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre this Monday. Hey, KABC welcomes the Happy Together Tour. And guess what, folks? If you are the fourth caller right now, 1-800-222-KABC, 1-800-222-KABC, you can win tickets uh, to the Happy Together Tour featuring the Turtles, Chuck Negron, the Association, the Cow Sills, and more at the Pacific Amphitheater as part of this year's OC Fair July 15th. So, fourth caller, good luck to you. So, big story in the uh, Los Angeles Times about uh, this uh, wacky doctor, Bob Sears, who's uh, a big uh, foe of vaccinations. Seems a little... Mm. Little uh, counterintuitive. One of those doc- McCarthy doctors. Yeah, uh, Jenny McCarthy type. Yeah, Jenny McCarthy with an MD degree. Very weird. So the um, Medical Board of California has ordered 35 months probation for Doctor Bob. He's an Orange County pediatrician, well known for being sympathetic to parents opposed to vaccines. A couple of years ago, the board threatened to revoke his medical license for wrongly writing a doctor's note for a two-year-old boy that exempted him from all childhood vaccinations. This week, the medical board settled on a lesser punishment. So he can keep practicing medicine, but he has to take 40 hours of medical education courses a year. His supporters expressed relief that he was not more severely punished. Critics were pleased that the state did more than just reprimand him. But, I mean, it is so reprehensible that that he would, as you say, Randy, I mean, he's he's in the camp of Jenny McCarthy. Yeah. For somebody like Jenny McCarthy, who is not a woman a of science, she yeah. is not a doctor, she is entitled to have her opinions. She, of course, has her anecdotal experience. She can have experiences where her child or people he, they know have adverse reactions to vaccines. All of that is irrelevant to a public health issue as to whether or not Vaccinations should be mandatory. Uh, Sears was in trouble because he wrote a vaccine exemption for a boy without obtaining even the basic medical information. Never heard of a doctor forging a doctor's note. Yeah, very weird. He probably couldn't read his own handwriting. But it sounded, you know, it sounded like when you were first talking about that story, he was the doctor in Orange County that people knew parents knew oh that's mm-hmm. the guy that this is the guy because i you know i i i listened to jenny mccarthy's story i i, I don't like vaccines either they're bad well i'm going to find out the guy who will just say yeah no your kids don't need vaccines and oh, that's dangerous insane. a yes. doctor that reinforces your wacky yes. ass belief oh absolutely you know, I, I mean the bottom line is vaccines are good they save people they save yes. people's lives they save you from dread diseases and although there could be super rare circumstances sure. where because of somebody's weird medical condition a particular vaccine might not be that fine do the seeing... due diligence figure it out but i mean for for people, for religious or personal wacky non-medical uh, reasons, to say no to their kids, it's just like saying, oh, child he, abuse. you know, it's child abuse. Yes. He needs a, a surgery to save his life. I'm sorry. We're into prayer. We're not into surgery. Well, you know, it is child abuse. It's funny. When um, Dr. Drew and I have talked about this a lot, and I was doing his podcast once, and we were talking about that. He said, you know, you'd be amazed how many people come to the doctor and then tell the doctor, no, they come to you because they're like, something's wrong with me. And then when right. you tell them, okay, clinically, um, scientifically, this is what's wrong with you. And then they're like, no, mm, I, I think you're wrong. And he's like, you'd be surprised how many people tell him that. He goes, would you tell like a builder or a plumber that came to your house that, you know, your pipes are leaking everywhere that the plant, you're like, no, you know what? I think that's the wrong pipe fitting for, to fix my house. He's like, it's like the only profession where people feel like they can come and just, you know, no, I, I think you're wrong, doc. It's, it's like, a weird it's world incredible. we live in now. The narcissism, we don't trust experts anymore. 
with a doctor, I'm going to trust the person that's been studying the human body mm -hmm. for yeah. 16 plus years. For Jenny years. McCarthy? Very scary. I mean, it's like oh. the old saying, you, you're entitled to your own uh, opinions, but not to your own facts. And this really is in the realm and of And this is the facts. internet world. You, you will believe something and you will Google and find on page 50 an article that agrees with that belief. So it must be true. Yeah. Yeah, and you're entitled to, to be stupid as long as it only affects you. Right, but no, if it but affects these your little, kid, the, and your kid coming to school sick when there's when diseases are making true. comebacks in preschool mm -hmm. and elementary school because you didn't vaccinate your kid. And, you know, when you're in a group, it's like herd mentality. If one cow is sick, all thousand are going to get sick. Absolutely I mean, that's just right. the way it is. And for the one kid out there that really has a, genet a genetic disposition where they can't get like the measles vaccine, well, now you're putting them at risk. All right, so it's a 3-0 vote here. Oh, yeah. we, we win. 8.55 the time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal in for Doug. Stay with us. 907 the time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre today and tomorrow. So, Leanne, uh, you heard uh, your colleague Rob Marinko reporting uh, a couple of minutes ago. Uh, folks know that Rob is relocating to Florida. Yeah. And uh, to, to send him off, uh, we had him on uh, my podcast uh, over the weekend. It's uh, the Royal Oak Show on crndigitaltalk.com. <laughs> and it, the event was, Leanne, it was a world premiere music video that people oh. are not going to want to miss. Rob is you, like you've never seen Rob Marinko before. We're wow. going to need a bigger camera. Uh, yeah, oh, it, it, was, it, it was it was stupendous. So uh, the song is Right Round, if you're familiar with Right Round. And so, uh, you know, I think uh, Rob does a spectacular job. So check it out. You can go to Facebook, McIntyre KBC page, or Twitter at McIntyre KBC. Check out the world premiere music video, Rob's uh, send-off to, uh, to Florida. So um, we got a serious medical issue here that we're going to get some information on uh, from uh, Dr. Peter Alperin. He's a study spokesman for Doximity. Uh, Dr. Alperin, welcome to KBC. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. So the, the problem is uh, there's a shortage of a certain kind of doctor, obstetrics and gynecological OBGYN, as they're called specialists. And I had no idea that this was a kind of a looming problem, but... The study that you've been uh, looking into uh, identified the top 10 markets likely to suffer a shortage of OBGYN specialists. And unfortunately, L.A. is number two with a bullet, uh, two on the list. Riverside is number five on the list of top 10. Tell us uh, what's going on. What's the cause of all this? Uh, well, uh, we did a study uh, at Doximity. We're a, we're a large uh, online network of physicians and gives us access to interesting data. And what we found was that there is a very significant difference between different metro areas all around the country uh, in terms of the number of obstetricians that are available to do births. And when we looked at it, um, uh, Riverside and Los Angeles were in the top 10 of being having the highest risk of a shortage. And what we mean by that is looking at the, the current workload of obstetricians, so the number of births that they do um, as part of their daily work, um, and then comparing that to the number of physicians who are uh, under the age of 40, so having some young physicians that are going to come in and take the older physician's place, and then actually looking at the number of older physicians. And L.A. and Riverside are not doing well in uh, all three of those areas. So are you finding just anecdotal experience, or does the study talk about uh, women reporting trouble finding uh, OBGYNs to, to help them out, either during pregnancy or just, to, just in general uh, well-woman-type help? Um, well, the study wasn't designed specifically to look at that, but um, what we did find, um, it was this, this large difference, and there have been some anecdotal reports, but again, our study didn't, uh, wasn't, wasn't set up to be able to look at specific like wait times or how long it takes to get into an obstetrician. So what are the causes? Why would you see shortages of uh, OBGYNs? I mean, it doesn't sound like it, it would be something that uh, would be like physically as demanding, for example, orthopedic surgeons. I mean, I've heard that it's really a helpful thing if you're a strong man or a woman uh, to be involved <laughs> with orthopedic surgery and so on. And neurosurgery, obviously, just extreme demanding, and I would think that, uh, you know, as you get older, maybe you wouldn't want to be uh, uh, <laughs> working on sensitive spinal surgery, whereas OBGYNs, it doesn't seem like it would be quite as demanding, or am I just wrong on that? Uh, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if you're wrong, but to provide some color, um, obstetrics is incredibly demanding. Um, it, there's a whole host of things that uh, make it a demanding specialty, but specifically, 
uh, babies decide to, to get delivered when they're good and ready. Uh-huh. And uh, so as an obstetrician, you really have to, to be ready. And therefore, you really aren't in, in as good a control of your schedule as you are compared to being some of the other specialties. And then secondly, it is a lot of it on your feet. And it's a pretty high stress event uh, when the baby is uh, being delivered. Um, and you really want to have someone who is uh, who has, has plenty of time to think and prepare. So um, it's incredibly mentally demanding. Yeah, my daughter came really early, like hours early. Really? And my doctor wasn't even there. She was still, yeah. <laughs> that like sounds a, like stressful. 45 minutes away. Oh, my yeah, gosh. But I was delivered by the, the great floor doctor at Cedars-Sinai, so okay. we were okay. <laughs> we're talking with Dr. Peter Alperin, a study spokesman for Doximity. So, I mean, in terms of in general, and uh, maybe this would apply not just to OBGYN folks, but in general, you hear a lot of complaining from doctors about all the electronic record-keeping requirements and, uh, you know, the, the government requirements and Obamacare stuff. Uh, do you think that's a factor in, in a, a shortage of OBGYNs where, where, in general, the medical profession is maybe a little less appealing than it used to be? Uh, well, you know, that that could be a factor. That wasn't something that we looked at. But one um, factor that we saw that was interesting uh, from a correlation perspective um, is the fact that there's a very large percentage of, of uh, women, especially women of childbearing age uh, in Riverside and Los Angeles who are on Medicaid. And as insurance payers go, Medicaid uh, doesn't pay quite as much. And so that could be a contributing factor. Uh, again, the study wasn't looking at causality, but uh, it's certainly um, a pretty significant correlation um, in terms of the fact that there is a shortage and that there is a high percentage of women on Medicaid, which, again, doesn't pay quite as much. So you said that Doximity is an online network of physicians. So is this something that just private doctor groups fund because they're interested in, in statistics, or is it like a public policy deal where you want to kind of reach out to, to lawmakers and kind of influence the direction that they take in terms of health reform? Um, well, it, it's kind of all of the above, but um, in, in a nutshell, Doximity is, a, is an online uh, network of physicians. You can think of it kind of as a LinkedIn for healthcare professionals because it's more than physicians, nurse practitioners, et cetera. It's a place where doctors can come together, keep up on the latest medical news, and also uh, communicate with each other and, and do a couple of the other things that uh, are required to maintain your, maintain your professional practice. So when you look into your crystal ball, what do you see in terms of uh, the future of Obamacare? Because once the individual mandate was uh, voted down, people were saying, okay, that's it, the apocalypse is, is soon. If we can't force people to sign up for Obamacare and therefore guarantee a bunch of young folks who are healthy and aren't going to have big medical bills and paying premiums nonetheless, then the, the death spiral is really going to happen because we can't really say no. There's no denial because of pre-existing conditions. And where's the money going to come from? What, what is the, I don't know if your group is doing studies on what we're likely to see over the next few years, but uh, how, how is your crystal ball on that? Um, our crystal ball is as cloudy as everybody else's. Um, I think it's, a, it's, it's obviously an, an interesting time, and there's a lot going on. Um, there's, there's conversations on Doximity about those topics, but I don't know that I have any better information than anybody else. I do know that we'll just have to wait and see. So what's the advice you have to uh, women who are having trouble finding an OBGYN doctor to help out? Uh, I mean, you, know, you sign up for government programs, but uh, anything more specific than that that you would tell people? Um, yeah, I would, I would tell people that, uh, you know, when they're contemplating having a child or they, they find out that they are pregnant, that they need to make those appointments as quickly as possible and, and really just, you know, scan their community to find out, find those physicians that are, that are open for business. Um, and, you know, the vast majority of, of obstetricians will do everything they can and move heaven and earth so that they can, uh, they can take care of, uh, of pregnant women. All right, Dr. Peter Alperin of Doximity, thanks for uh, sharing part of your Monday with us. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks a lot. 9.15 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, The Place. So they're calling it, uh, Leanne, the death of civility. Uh, mm. It seems like we are so polarized on both sides uh, that civility is, is out the window. And I, I got to say, I think uh, Maxine Waters is the poster child for this. I mean, the, it's one thing to make a mistake. At least Peter Fonda apologized. <laughs> When he said, "Oh, I think that uh, I think Baron. that they ought to rip Baron from Melania's arms and put him in a cage with pedophiles," I mean, some people wouldn't even back off of that. But at least Peter Fonda, you know, wants to make another Easy Rider movie, I guess. Yeah. Maxine's he, he, or, defense is, "No, I didn't say that. I, yeah. I didn't say to oh, harass Trump people." 
Yes, she you did. did. She did. She just said, oh, that's, that, that's not what I meant. Yeah, but okay. she knows that's exactly what she meant. I of mean, course. when you say, if you find a Trump cabinet member in a restaurant or a mall or someplace, you surround them, you confront them, you let them know they're not welcome here or anywhere. anywhere. I mean, how is that not an invitation to the distinct possibility of violence. I yeah. mean, you know, it started and then, out. And then she gets mad when people are calling or you know, she said she's gotten death threats. It's like, well, it's the same thing that you're spewing out that people are, you're just inviting more of it. Yeah. And it's coming at you. And pretty, pretty defiant. Ugh. You know, she said, well, if you're going to come after me, you, be, you better shoot straight. Oh, How do we get back to where we're just disagreeing on issues that the other side is not evil incarnate? Yeah, I, I don't know how evil, we do that it. means they're not human. So then you can say and and think things that you would never humanly want for your neighbor or your friend or your family member. And I think the suspicion is that although politics more or less has always been like this, I mean, throughout American history, you know, opponents have said pretty awful things about about the other side. Uh, and you know, sometimes they even came to blows. I mean, back in the Civil War, you know, the the Southern guy took a, a, a stick to a, a, one of the abolitionist senators and practically killed him. So it, it, it's not been pleasant. And, and when you look at the recent American political history, I mean, Richard Richard Nixon was a really polarizing figure, even aside from Vietnam and the LBJ thing. I mean, there were very strong opinions about him. And then same thing with Bill Clinton and to a degree Obama. But I think Trump, he's taken it to a whole new level. And I think it's because he's just not so presidential. Well, and he, he says things that, you know, beat him up, I'll, I'll yeah. pay for your legal bills and take him out on a stretcher. And He does. He's guilty of sort of Maxine Waters-like stuff. But even without that, I think it's just that he's so focused on, you know, who's nice to me and, you know, what's good for me. It's like he doesn't really stand for principles. He stands for winning. Now he makes yeah, and he Repub- just wants loyalty. Right. He wants loyalty. And Republicans are happy when he appoints good Supreme Court justices and so on. But I think the irony here is it's going to firm up support among Republicans. There were some reports even in the L.A. Times recently that Trump, uh, his supporters can say, well, you know, he can be a boor. But look at his enemies. I mean, they're nutcases. And, you know, when they go so far as to basically – uh, become open borders fans. I mean, Senator Warren, Elizabeth Warren, and Senator Gillibrand from New York, they're joining uh, the uh, Democratic Socialist uh, woman who just won the, the congressional seat or the primary, saying, let's dump ICE. But what they're really saying is we're in favor of open borders. And when you talk about open borders, I think that's going to mean middle America is going to circle the wagons and support Trump. But I think at the end of the day, all this extremism that we're saying, seeing is a result of, you know, classically what, what results in, in extreme positions. Either somebody is a pure hater or they're just really stupid or they're just really greedy. That's what causes this stuff. I think that's what caused Roseanne Barr to send out a racist tweet. I mean, you know, there was hate and there was stupidity. Same and thing. Ambient. And Ambien, right? <laughs> and Peter Fonda, I don't know if he was on Ambien, but, you know, there was hate there. There was stupidity. Samantha B. I don't know if it was stupidity, but there was a lot of hate when, when she called, you know, Ivanka uh, the C word. And, and also there's the greed factor. I mean, when, when you go the extreme route, it's because you want to keep your political job. It, you want to, to get the votes and you don't really care about the consequences. You know, if if they have any guts in Congress, they will censure Maxine Waters because when a member of Congress comes out and more or less advocates violence, you know, it, it really translates to that. If you're just going to let that happen. You did have Schumer and Pelosi hamming, 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 said we don't believe in that. We don't believe in they're harassing do our political opponents. Well, you don't you don't think so? I mean, no. in ancient uh, political history, back in the 50s, uh, the Republicans joined the Democrats to censure Joe McCarthy when he was just uh, shown to be a complete demagogue, demagogue totally irresponsible, uh, accusing people of, of being communists when he had no evidence, mm-hmm. basically being just a bully and a defamer, exploiting the fact that, you know, when you say something on the floor of Congress, you can't be sued. And they censured the guy, and yeah. he was on the way to, to a... It's been like a week now, and they haven't done anything to her, other than say, oh, you know, we don't agree with that. We don't want people to incite violence and 
whatever, but that's about as far as they're going to go with her. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right, but it's kind of a shame because it, it would be— She's it would had send, a history of doing this. Yeah, it would send a really good message if they would— uh, but I mean, they don't have the political will to do that. I think because the de- they hate Trump and they just they kind of I think in a way like that she's doing it. They have to say outwardly no, but they just feel like they gotta you know fight fire with fire. Yeah, but I think they're being short sighted. I think I, they're I missing agree. a bet. I mean, <laughs> I, uh, there's an interesting uh, editorial in the Wall Street Journal just a couple of days ago, and they said that Hillary Clinton lost the presidency mm-hmm. for a whole lot of reasons, but one big reason was because she called people who disagreed with her, a basket of deplorables. Yeah, of course. People are still using that, that they term. They are. And millions of Americans knew who she meant, and, yeah. you know, 63 million or so voted for Donald Trump. And I have a friend from uh, Philadelphia area, and he said, uh, he said there are bumper stickers uh, saying, we are bitter clingers. And the bitter clingers bumper sticker relates to the comet. Yes, Barack Obama. Mm -hmm. He's at some fancy wine and cheese fundraiser in the San Francisco Bay Area. Mm -hmm. He didn't know that he was being recorded. And what he said was, yeah, there's some folks that, you know, they just don't like me. They cling bitterly to their religion and their guns. Whoa. I mean, they're still talking about that. Of course. And it's the same thing with the basket of deplorables. Uh, the, the Wall Street Journal uh, 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 editorial talked about actor Seth Rogen, who was bragging on TV he recently refused to take a picture with Paul Ryan and Paul Ryan's sons and instead delivered a lecture uh, about Paul Ryan and how he was so wrong. And, and the journal says, apparently rudeness to children is now a badge of courage. I just don't Whatever. think that's going to go over well no. uh, it, come uh, midterms Elitist. in November. Yeah. 9.23 the time. Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. And Bill Thomas has a report on the traffic. 9.48 the time. Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Hey, folks. Want to win some tickets? Yes. Second caller will win tickets to Jeff Lynn's Electric Light Orchestra. At the Forum, August 5. Tickets are on sale now, but you can win a pair of tickets. 1-800-222-KABC. Be the second caller right now. So, will abortion uh, be banished as a result of Donald Trump picking a new Supreme Court justice? Will Roe versus Wade be overturned? So there's a guy named Leonard Leo. I guess he's called Leo Leo. Leo squared. And uh, he was on... Uh, he was on Fox News uh, Sunday yesterday, and he's the guy, he's the architect of uh, the Trump uh, Supreme Court uh, justice picks. And he's, uh, you know, with the Federalist Society and so on. And he was confronted by Chris Wallace with some videotape. And the videotape showed Trump on the stump during the presidential campaign saying, I'll be, I'll be appointing two to three justices and uh, Roe will automatically be dead. And so this guy was confronted by, you know, Chris Wallace. He comes by it honestly. His dad, Mike Wallace, you know, he of 60 Minutes fame. You know you're having a bad day when you show up in 60 Minutes is in your your reception room. So he confronted this guy. You know, doesn't this say that Trump uh, is going to pick somebody who is against Roe? And Leo said, oh, no, that's just talk. That's just big talk. That's what people do in politics. He said, major precedents require careful scrutiny. And he's right. I mean, no matter how ideological you are in the court, you always are deferential to long-held precedents. You don't just flip-flop. It happens, but I think the justices are embarrassed about it. I mean, the the best and most high-profile example of a total flip, which everybody agrees was great, was in 1954, Brown versus Board of Education, when the Supreme Court unanimously said... Separate but equal is inherently unequal, and they abolished school segregation. And what did they do when they decided Brown? They totally flipped 180 on a case called Plessy versus Ferguson in 1896, where the Supreme Court said, oh, as long as they're really, really good separate schools, as long as they're equal, that's okay. So that was a flip. Is the U.S. Supreme Court going to say, well, 1973 was a long time ago. We're just going to toss Roe versus Wade. According to Leonard Leo, the Trump guy, people are very careful about precedents. Now, the reality is you have at least two Republican senators, Lisa Mikowski from Alaska and Susan Collins from Nevada. From Nevada. Yeah. <laughs> thinking, thinking Harry Reid. Yeah, I, I know it's fan. I don't know why I said Nevada. I'm thinking of Vegas. 
Anyway, both of them are saying, don't even think about it, Mr. President. We're not going to vote for somebody who's going to uh, dump Roe versus Wade. And, if he, and he has to please them because if he loses even one Republican vote, then he is history. Unless somehow he, he can get a few Democrats who are worried about losing their re-election the, uh, bids. The ticking clock scenario here that they've got to get this done before November or the structure of the Senate might change not in Trump's yes. favor works to the moderates' favor in that they've got to put somebody through that they agree with. I think so. you're right. Yeah, I think Trump's desperate to to get somebody get this done. That's why Leanne's been reporting. We're going to hear next Monday uh, from Trump. We're going to hear the name. So they want him be, to be vetted. They want to get it through. But, you know, it's uh, it, the, the difficulty is it's going to be so frustrating. These folks are going to appear. Whoever is picked is going to appear before the Judiciary Committee, and they are going to do a big tap dance. They are not going to say how they feel about Roe versus Wade. They're simply going to say they are really respectful of precedents, that if anybody were to vote to, uh, to overturn a precedent, it would have to be only after careful scrutiny. In other words, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't think they go any, into anything willy-nilly, right? I mean, no, that's their job. No, they don't. You're right. However... You know, the public arguably is entitled to know and the senators are entitled to know, you know what the political philosophy is. But in the last decade or two, the Supreme Court justice nominees have wised up and they are smart enough to know that they don't have to be specific. Yeah, they don't have to tell you before they get the job. Exactly right. Now, on the Supreme Court today, there's only one justice who has said that he would vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. And that's Clarence Thomas. So it is not a guarantee that Alito and Gorsuch would do that. And there is definitely no guarantee that Chief Justice John Roberts would vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. I think that Roberts, now that he knows that the baton has been handed to him, I mean, Anthony Kennedy has been the swing vote yeah. for years and years. You might as well just fire the other eight justices and, and save money and help solve the federal deficit and just pay Anthony Kennedy because he's decided most all of the key decisions in the last decade. So obviously that's an exaggeration, but it's a, a huge number of big swing uh, decisions he's made. But Chief Justice Roberts now has that job, and I think he's going to be looking at his legacy, and he doesn't want to be known as the guy who zipped in and killed off abortion rights. Time is 9.54 here on Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. We're going to chat with our pal Peter Tilden in a couple of minutes. 